Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. Before we start, I want to thank everyone who has supported the show, and in particular those of you who have contributed to the PayPal tip jar. Of course, the likes, subscribes, and shares help a great deal as well. I enjoy bringing you this content, and the contributions help cover the expenses for doing so. I've had a wonderful time chatting with the people on these shows, so much so that I would like to have them back for further conversations. As you listen, if there are any questions or topics you would like to hear us discuss, please post up a note in the comments or send me them directly. I'll pick the best ones and we'll cover them in future episodes. Another way you can get more content is to join the Spirit Aikido online program. There are currently more than 130 videos in the program, with new ones being added every few days. Subscribers get access to video training and mentoring to techniques and training methods that I've adopted from other martial arts to make my Aikido more practical. In the most recent series of videos, I cover troubleshooting Ikkyo, as well as a very interesting Ikkyo turnover. There's a link to the program in the description. I invite you to check it out. Now, on with the discussion. Well, I'm very excited to have Ian Abernathy here on Modern Aikido's podcast. So, welcome to the show, Ian. I'm uh, very excited to chat with you. We're going to have a great time. Yeah, no, glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. You bet. Uh, one of the things I came across some of your work years ago, and it, what really struck me was your acknowledgement that the way traditional martial arts training from your background was disappointing and that you wanted to take a new path and you wanted to, to forge into something that really wasn't being done very much in the, uh, in the karate community. As I understand as a karate, uh, what style of karate was it? I originally started in, in Wado, but I don't use that label anymore because I've had instructors from other influences and I no longer think the sure. style labels really apply. Sure. So I always say I'm a martial artist first, karate a second, and no idea what style <laughs> I am. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a, a great way to look forward to it because Aikido is going through very much the same thing and has been for some time. And I think a lot of practitioners are having that sort of crisis of faith, questioning what what they have gotten or where they're at and where they want to be and uh and I'm, I'm sad to say that that some instructors are kind of shaming some of those people and making them feel like they should not be going outside the lines or going taking their martial art into where they want it to be which is to be practical for self-defense and that sort of thing so that's why i was excited to chat with you because you know i, I know a bit of your background not a lot of it Maybe you could share a little bit with uh, of that with people, but also the path that you went through in order to to break out of those lines and to take your martial art where you wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could well, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So one of the, one of the things where where I was really lucky because I can relate to the um, uh, what you're telling me. I hear that a lot from people in in my community that uh, the groups that they belong to, the instructors that they work with, they have a desire to move things on a little bit, change things a little bit, maybe go back to older practices that are now no longer practiced. And then they feel for uh, political reasons, for want of a better expression, that they're, they're not allowed to do that. Um, so the, the, they constantly come up against these hard stops. Fortunately for me, I never really had that. You know, I, I was uh, very good that all the instructors I've had have been quite open-minded and has always been open to me uh, cross-training and exploring things. So um, I was able to look at <clears throat> the art as, as I was practicing it, bringing disparate sources. I clearly wanted to go along the more um, self-protection line. I'm a little bit more open-minded than maybe I was about the benefits of the wider martial arts practice. 
but at the time when I started off, you know, whatever this was, past 25 years ago or something like this, when I decided that I really wanted to kind of move down that uh, pragmatic route, I didn't really feel that um, uh, constraint from 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 any of mine. In fact, they were very encouraging in, in me doing it. But I know within traditional circles, there is sometimes this view that the art it was almost kind of divinely inspired and has reached a state of perfection and in no way can be altered or changed. Um, so when, when I was looking at the, the art as it passed, was passed on to me, there were some things that I was, uh, I either wholly reject this practice or, or, or think that there are things that we can, can improve uh, upon. Um, and whereas my various instructors may not have agreed with every conclusion that I reached, they were happy for me to reach my own conclusions. Sure. You know, I, I ran across a great uh, meme on the internet a few years ago, and it was a picture of an axe, and the axe had a metal handle and a wooden head, and it said, just because you're unique doesn't mean you're useful. And I, and I think that some uh, a great deal of traditional martial arts have, have painted themselves into that corner where they are, they feel that they are right, they're correct, they're unique. Uh, they're different and better than everything else but when you actually go to use them for what they are used for there is catastrophic failure oftentimes yeah well and i think as well i think that, that ultimately comes down to it's, it's a if you look at arts like uh, that tend to have a more uh, honest reputation so mm -hmm. if you think of things like uh, the, the gentlemen, i think that like boxing and judo mm -hmm. you know what i mean and, and i think that the big strengths that those arts have built into them is that there's a lot of empirical testing yes and they test for what the, the their predefined goal because mm -hmm. you know sometimes people talk about oh you need to have life practice but i always say that's not enough it's what kind of life practice right you know i, I always say if you decided you want to be the world's best boxer so you said well i've taken up brazilian jiu-jitsu because they have life practice doesn't fulfill your aim <laughs> so, <laughs> so if, if you wanted to, um, a self-defense focused art then, mm -hmm. then what you need to do is you need to have forms of life practice that will accurately reflect Mm -hmm. um what a self-defense situation is and how it will play out and, and all that kind of thing and as soon as you add in that live testing anything that's inefficient becomes obviously so and, and i think that that's part of the problem within the traditional routes rather than being honest and open and say okay let's test it and see where this leads and mm -hmm. what we can improve what we may need to reject maybe we need to rethink some things now there tends to be that protectionism so it's what i call artificial success criteria so if something becomes right because it's traditional or it's right because Sensei X said so, uh, or it's right because we've always done that. Whereas I think if you're pursuing the path of pragmatism and I accept that there are other you know, people trained for art, sport, fitness, enjoyment, all kinds of valid reasons. But if you're training for pragmatism, um, you, you have to um, be honest with yourself and say, okay, I need to open this up to testing uh, and let's see how this works. Let's see how we go. Whereas I think sometimes uh, people are scared of doing that because they know ahead of time what the result might be. So, so they try and say, no, it's good because we said it's good. You know, and I think that's the thing. As soon as you have the testing in, that's when, you know, truth is unavoidable. You know, and yeah, you're right. And this is a conversation that's going on with a lot of Aikido people. Like, how do we, how do, we do this testing? And then we, often the term pressure testing comes into play. Mm. My background, I've had almost 20, more than 25 years of, of competitive full contact competition. Mm. And what I learned over that time is that pressure testing is merely going to perform. It's like a football team going out and actually playing a game. You can scrimmage, you can do your drills, you can do all the practice and, and conditioning training, but until you get into that pressure type situation into competition, 
and then when you when that happens you find where your shortcomings are and then you take that back into your training and you say okay these are things that went well these are things that didn't go well now i go back to my training let's work on those deficiencies let's try to remove them and then you go and uh, compete or play or or do whatever kind of a testing feedback form you have you get your information then you go back to the training site like it's a constant ongoing cycle it's part mm. of the training and a, a good coach will say everything is scrimmage and everything's the real game play your scrimmage like you're playing the real game and play your real game like you're playing the scrimmage because yeah. you don't want the pressure to be so much in your head that you you're what you train well just disintegrates because you're under such high levels of stress and i think from a self-defense standpoint that's even more so because the, it's more terrifying when you are uh, attacked for real there's so many more variables than you'd ever get in a dojo or in a training environment managing your fear is part of that training cycle yeah. and learning what your how your body under uh performs under that stress is part of the learning that learning cycle and I, the part that concerns me is not only aikido but a lot of martial arts that have removed that feedback mechanism either they never had it or i mean at some point they had it had to get flushed out and just removed and then the training cycle got smaller where it was just you do one thing sensei tells you it's wrong and then you go back and redo it yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. that circle gets tight that's what i've noticed and and that's a challenge yeah no it is and i think there's, there's a few things in there is it so i think with with the pressure testing as well i also think it needs to be structured too Oh, yeah. so, uh, uh, um, uh, and relevant to the, the degree and the level of the student. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you, you know, you, you, I mean, I, you see, I always joke about this at my seminars, but you see some clubs, you walk in, I always say, they all look like this, right? They were <laughs> yeah. ears, and they'll do this thing where they'll go, oh, no, our club is you know, really hardcore. We don't train with gloves. There's no gloves in the street. We don't have mats down. There's no mats in the street. Mm -hmm. And what they, they haven't really created a training mechanism. What they've created is a selection mechanism. So students who couldn't fight, it just naturally, if you like, mm -hmm. will leave. This is a horrible environment. I can't cope. I'm getting injured. I'm going to leave. The mm -hmm. students that are left are the ones who are there for confidence. So they then look and say, well, look at everyone in our dojo who can fight well. I said, yes, because you've created a selection mechanism, not a training mechanism. Right. So, so, so when it comes to um, uh, the pressure testing, uh, like, for example, in my dojo, uh, when they're coming as white belts, we have um, three, four basic live drills that they do. Mm -hmm. And they are super, super basic. What, like, simply throwing straight shots while the other one parries in. You know, mm -hmm. so they know what shots are coming. It's going to be A or B. And they know how to deal with both. But they'll do it with a little bit of a live. So then we just get them used to basic grips and moving around. And, and then we do a little playing for grips with no objective, no winner, no techniques, no impact. Just learning to move your hands around another human body when you're at, at close range. Mm -hmm. And then when they're ready for that, you know, they, they do that and they go, oh, I can do this. Oh, great, great. Okay, now that you feel confident with it, you feel happy with it, he's going to try and tap you on the head. And I want you to try and stopping you from tapping you on the head. And the next day, John, well, okay, now we can lightly punch you and you can slowly build it up over time. So sure. the student's confidence uh, uh, grows, you see. And then what you do find as well is um, we've created a lot of these... Um, um, gradual pressure testing drills for differing objectives. So I divide it between what I call consensual violence and non-consensual violence. I think they're fairly broad terms, but they work fairly well. Mm -hmm. So consensual violence is when you have a symmetrical goal with the person that you're training with. So for example, mm -hmm. in boxing, they go, my goal is to knock you out with punches, your goal is to knock me out with punches. Or I'm going to try and throw an opinion to the ground in judo, you're going to try and do the same to me. But they've consented to it, and they have the same goal as one another. Mm -hmm. In 
self-defense, it's what I would call non-consensual violence. So one person goes, I wish to use violence to harm you in some way, take things from you, abuse you, whatever it happens to be. And the other person is, I don't want to get harmed. Mm -hmm. So the drills that you create, although there is some crossover between the consensual violence drills, it's not the same as non-consensual violence because your goal is different. You know, the, the, the criminal wishes to commit a crime and you wish to avoid being a victim of a crime. Right. So, you know, so it, it is quite different. So in the dojo, we have drills for both, mm -hmm. you know, because um, the nice thing about consensual violence is you consent to it. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, you right. know, I, I, if I don't want to enter the judo tournament, you just don't enter it. You know, <laughs> so, so, um, so you can decide, well, we agree to spar in this given way. We have that in our dojo. We have ways of exchanging techniques for the mm -hmm. sheer enjoyment of the martial arts punching, kicking, throwing, locking, trapping, all that stuff. And then we've got the more self-defense focused ones where the aim is based on, you know, a, a fundamentally escape. You know what I mean? So that becomes the objective of those drills. You know, and you've struck on, I think, a very profound thing that that a lot of people will say, but I don't think they truly grasp it all the way through. And, and you clearly do. And that is that asymmetric goal is has a profound impact Huge. on on, yeah. on what that exchange is going to look like. Even if it's a you know, you're gonna, you're trying to attack me, or you're trying to commit a crime against me, and I'm poised to try to stop you. That's different than me wanting to beat you to 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 be or to be a better fighter than you are. Like that's 100%. a whole different realm. Yeah, entirely different set of goals. And, and you're right, most people don't appreciate it. So mm -hmm. they'll go, um, and I also think it comes down to people get upset about what works and don't work. They say that's an incomplete question. It has to be works for what. Right. So, so the things, the things that I would do, like, uh, like for example, in my dojo last night, we did some footwork drills because we're all socially distanced at the moment, so we're limited to what we can do. So we're working footwork, but the kind of footwork we were doing is a kind of footwork you would use against another trained martial artist mm -hmm. to provoke certain responses that they they, they might have. It, it gets very different. And I think sure. that's one of the other problems with all martial arts, not just traditional ones. Is mm -hmm. we, we become insular. So. Aikido guys spend most of the time training with other Aikido guys. Karate guys train with karate guys. BJJ train with BJJ. And so then the objective shifts. It becomes, how can I defeat a practitioner of my own discipline in the area that I am a specialist at? Right. You know, and then what happens is you've got these huge gaping holes in your training that mm -hmm. no one's aware of. You know. Right. So for, for, take like something like Wing Chun. I would say Wing Chun are the premier trap. That they can out trap trapping all day long. Judo can out throw throwers all day long. You know, they, they're really good at it. But then you like you punch a judo player. Mm -hmm. Whoa, what's this? You know what I mean? There's this <laughs> sudden big gap, you know, it, it's just entirely different. So, and even in the holistic arts, you know, if you look at something like MMA, is often pointed as the example. Mm -hmm. Although it's, it's very um, holistic, um, uh, it, it's still focused on defeating another MMA practitioner. And a lot of things don't, don't pass over. Tactically, they don't, mm -hmm. and legally, they don't. So the one I always point to is you look at MMA, quite common tactic is you hit the guy, falls to the ground, they jump on him and start hitting him. Right. Well, you do that in self-defense in front of witnesses, you're going to jail. Right. Because, you know, people right. will confuse it, they'll believe that you are the thing. So you've always got to make, what's my objective? And then you create training deals for that objective. And by all means, have the fun of trying to out-throw a thrower, out-punch a puncher, or taekwondo guys like out-kick kickers. Great, do all that. But when it comes to the self-defense side of it, we'll all be all the arts, because the solution will be defined by the problem. All of the arts will end up doing very similar things. Mm -hmm. You know, so so like I would say, so my background's a karateka, your background's aikidoka. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the self-defense side of things, we'll be pretty much doing the same thing. Right. Then, then we may move off in other areas to explore the interest of the art and the, the other sides of it. 
But the, the, the thought, that sharp edge, if you like, that fundamental point, it, it'll all, every art should be doing the same thing because mm -hmm. the problem will define the solution. You know, I, I always like that analogy that they say that no matter what side of the mountain you, you start on, as you climb, you, cut, you get closer to the one peak. And, and, yeah, yeah. and I think that a lot of martial artists like staying at the lower side of the mountain they, in their little realm that's not connected to anybody else that's around the other side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the things that, that I like going at, at it from a teaching standpoint, and I think we're talking a lot about uh, something that Aikido people have been realizing, starting to realize, it's not the art, it's how it's trained. Mm -hmm. It's how we approach our training that, that not analyzing, saying this technique is good and this technique doesn't work. It's how do we train these things that in the past have worked, but we've now kind of lost track of that. And that is, especially from a self-defense standpoint, you might only get a few seconds to eye up, okay, what am I dealing with here? Am I dealing with somebody who prefers to grapple, somebody who prefers to kick, somebody who's maybe a striker or, you know, something like that. In a, in a sport fight, you you do advanced recon. You know who you're going to fight. You know what mm. they tend to want to do. You know what their background is. Um, you know, of course, in a real situation, some guy could be 80 pounds heavier than you, could be, you know, big dude with, with bad knees. You don't know. You, this could be, you know, a really good kicker or somebody who just likes kicking people in the kneecap, you know. How do you spot those things? And then, and I really like how you said, you know, you don't try to outkick a kicker. You don't try to outbox a boxer. Once you get an idea of what he wants to do, how do you be the worst thing that he wants to have to deal with? The thing that he does not, he's not ready for. Yeah. Um, and I think those are, those are important points. They're a little harder to do in a dojo, but, but starting to identify how to do those attacks and how to, how to be what we, what we would call an uke, which is you're the attacking body to say, all right, now you're going to be a kicker, or now you're going to be a boxer, or now you're going to be a, a wrestler, and then be able to have have our nage be able to read that and say, okay, well, how would you deal with yeah. somebody who's going to do a, a grappling attack or a kicking attack, things like that. Yeah, well, and then I think that's that's that's, that's true, and, and this is uh, raises two other points. So I think on the um, for the uh, the self defense side of things. And this is one of these things that, like, you know, it really infuriates me, right? Because we've got Sun Tzu telling us, you know, you need to know your enemy. You know, you need right. to know your enemy and you need to know yourself. Mm -hmm. And then so we acknowledge that our enemies are criminal, but no one studies criminal behavior. Mm -hmm. Martial artists reinvent criminals in their own image. You, whatever do. art you do, a criminal will act like that. Well, of course, it's not true. Right. Right? So you could be the best um, wrestler there is. Mm -hmm. But the criminal doesn't want to act like a wrestler. He doesn't even want to fight you. Right. You know, he wants to use violence to get his aim. So he'll use dialogue and deception and numbers and weapons and surprise. So mm -hmm. those things need to be factored into the training for that 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 element. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes there's an assumption, okay, we're ready to do self-defense now. You know what I mean? And the guy hits you mid-sentence when he's asking you directions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, what the hell happened there? You, you may be the better fighter, but he's the better criminal. Sure. So, so there's, there's that side of it, you know. And, and then the other one is when we start to train things, we also come against the, the insular limitations. So mm -hmm. if a judo club decided, okay, we want to start working punches, no one in that dojo can punch. So right. what happens is they get good at defending against very bad punches. <laughs> you know, so, 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 and so therefore, well, this works until you meet a guy with a half-decent punch. Mm -hmm. you know, but but, but the, the, the analogy that a friend of mine uses, Jamie Club uses, and I just think it's absolutely brilliant. He said, when it comes to self-defense, he says, it's like first aid. It's a life skill. That, so it's, you're not being a specialist. You're not being an expert. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a life skill. That's the self-defense side of it. 
He says, in the martial arts, what we then go on, then we go to special arts. So you may be the brain surgeon of grappling or the heart surgeon of punching or the, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it happens to the pediatrician of locking, whatever it happens to be, right? <laughs> you've, got, you've, got, you've got this expert, you've got this expertise. But, but that, that brain surgeon, when someone starts choking in a restaurant, he doesn't whip out his scalpel and start operating on the brain. He mm-hmm. acknowledges that those skills are for something else. Mm-hmm. What, what the skills that he needs are the first aid skills. So I think there's that in all the arts, is, and, and this was the thing I found really liberating for me, is, is not everything I do has to be relevant to self-defense. Mm-hmm. Some of it can be relevant to um, the history, the culture, the, the sheer enjoyment of it, the, mm-hmm. the joy of physical movement. Some of it can be related to the consensual violence and fighting. And then we've got this core bit, if you like, which is related to the self-defense side of it. Mm-hmm. And not everything can or should be trying to shoved into that box. We can right. do things that it's called, this has no bearing on self-defense, but it's still cool, it's still fun, it's still beneficial, but it, but in, in different ways. So I always think that's really important. I have this uh, the model, I call it the martial map, where I've got three overlapping circles, like a Venn diagram, where I've got martial arts, self-protection, and fighting. And, and then I tell people, you know, whatever, whatever form of practice we're doing, we need to think where it is on that map. What are we doing now? Are we doing something that crosses over into two or three? Or is it something that's pure self-protection or pure fighting or pure martial arts? Yeah, I, I came across your, your presentation on the martial map of a couple of years ago, and I really loved it. And it was, as I listened to you talk about it, I always talked about those the three realms of the academic martial art, the sport martial art, and then basically combatives or crazy yeah, town. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's where everything goes, goes wherever it wants to go. Mm-hmm. And each one has their specialties, their areas where they are very strong and each one has its blind spots and that's where getting going to the center of that if you call them circles or i i use it as a triangle the closer you get to the center of the triangle you try to get the benefits of each realm but you avoid that that over specialization into one where you're getting blind to the other the other realms yeah and people can argue and this is another frustrating thing for me for both martial artists and just people in general say, like, well, which one's better? They always think in terms of one's superior to the other two. It's like in its own specialty, yes, but it's none are superior to the to the, the others in every way. So you yeah. can't just say that there's there's you know one Coca-Cola that's best better than any other cola out there. Like yeah. and it's I, I just call it plebeian thinking. It's like what the Roman citizens were like when they went to the Colosseum, like which, which gladiator is the best, like which yeah. one's going to win. And they, they tend to view that because uh, I mean, we're steeped in it with, you know, which football team won the championship, which fighter won the tournament, which, you know, which is the good guy in the movie that, that, that killed all the bad guys at the end. We were kind of given this plebeian thinking, but in combat, it doesn't work like that. Um, you know, even an inferior fighter with superior will can overcome somebody with better technical ability oh, easy. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's I, you know they call it any given sunday over here in america i'm sure you got some kind of a similar saying over there in the uk but it there's a difference between that will to win and the skill and the technical ability and and to go too far into thinking that you're all the reps that you did and all the technical prowess that you've built will prevail when somebody is just that much meaner and says, I am going to take you down without that technical ability. Yeah. He can downright do sneaky. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, this, is, this is it. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's documented cases of, you know, world level fighters 
mm-hmm. being taken out by people. That they, there's no way they could face them in a square goal. Right. But the mistake I think a lot of martial artists make is they make the assumption that the criminal is interested in a square goal, and of course they're not. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, there's no way I can. I'll fight this guy, so I'm going to wait until he's not looking at me, then me and my friends are going to jump him. It's entirely different. Thing. <laughs> you know, so and, and, and I think um, as martial artists, we, we're really bad for redefining the problem in our own image. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of saying, okay, what's the problem? Then what should the solution be? People start with a skill set. I'm an MMA practitioner, a kid, okay, business jiu-jitsu guy, karate guy, and therefore criminal violence looks like X. Right. No, it doesn't. It, it looks like what it looks like. So you start from there and work back, you know what I mean? Rather than saying, yeah. I already have a solution. Now let me redefine the problem. It doesn't work that way. Here's exactly. the problem. You need your solution to fit that problem. And as you point about the, you know, the, the um, you know, which one's best, I always point to like cutlery for that. You know, mm-hmm. we, the, there's a reason we have a knife, a fork, and a spoon because not one of them's better than the other. If you go, That's a great analogy. Best, I'm, I'm so going to steal that one. Here's a well done steak. Have at it. You know, you can bash it into the spoon all day long. Yep. You know, and, okay, we'll eat soup now. Well, the fork's not going to work for you, you know. Right. And, and I think the key bit is, is, is people, because I don't believe, I used to, I was guilty of this. I used to believe that self-defense was kind of like the gold standard. That mm-hmm. was the thing that really gave a martial arts its worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I still think that's important. It's, it's an entry-level requirement for me, for any martial art that I'd be interested in, that that's mm-hmm. something that they, they, they do cover pretty thoroughly. Sure. But after that, I, I'm totally happy to go on to all the other stuff as well, you know, because yeah. you know, I realize, I mean, like, I, I haven't had, you know, I haven't had it swinging. I've had situations I've had to defuse even re- re- relatively recently, but I haven't had anyone throw a punch at me in anger in years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So does that mean I've wasted all my martial arts training during this time? Well, I don't think I have because I find it fun and enjoyable and it keeps me fit mm-hmm. and healthy. I'm in pretty good shape for a guy at 50. You know what yeah. I mean? So I, I'm, I'm, um, I've got, I see the value in all of that now. And I think that's mm-hmm. some of the mistakes martial arts make is they feel everything has to be related to self-defense. It, yeah, it doesn't c- cover that ticket and then go, right, I've got that. I've done that. I'm confident with that. Now go play, go play, mm-hmm. go enjoy all the good stuff. And I, and I, the word that you nailed there is enjoy. One of the things I think that people perceive is, well, I kind of enjoy my kata and, and in, Aikido, we do it in pairs, but it basically is a kata where you know the formula, the recipe, you go through movements, and they, they kind of feel like it's it's comfortable, like this is a comfortable place. But Aikido has been suffering from a lack of popularity, or the popularity has been sinking for the last 15 years. And I, I personally believe that practice is just not enjoyable enough. Hmm. Practicing katas is just not very nourishing. It's not It's not pleasurable. It's not enjoyable to a vast number of people. And I think as, as audiences and, and as people get a little bit more sophisticated, they also realize it's not very useful. It's just mm. not going to teach you practical things. And I, and the, the thing that I want to overcome that practicing, like you described where you say, all right, we're going to go 10% intensity and we're just going to kind of, you know, we're going to try to sort out the chaos, figure out arms mm. flying around. How do I make things work? As you start getting comfortable with that and you say, oh, I can handle 10%, no problem. Let's go to 20%. And now let's go to 30%. As you climb, that's a fun process. You're mm-hmm. not getting hurt. You're not getting banged up. This is not like a, a Conan pit where you're where you're dropping students in and they're coming out with the, with this thing. <laughs> um, you don't want to scare them to death. You don't want to, you don't want to drown them uh, with things they can't comprehend. But as they build up confidence, 
they really enjoy it. I'm, I find with, with my students when I, we go through these things and say, you know, my goal is to make you very confident in facing a terrifying situation that most people would just freeze up in. I want you to be comfortable there. And we're going to gradually get to that point. Every single time I see a student, even in one class, come out and say, wow, I can protect my head. I can move. I, I, I'm not just going to get nailed. This is great. They like, that's the enjoyable part of martial art training. And, and uh, it's, I'm sad that a lot of martial art instructors have lost sight of what it's like to empower their students in a way that yeah. the students really love it. Yeah. With a demonstrable empirical skill. Right. You know, so, yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I like, so for me, you know, I'm a big fan of obviously the traditional cutter, and I do use them as the yeah. uh, foundation of mm -hmm. uh, this. Absolutely. We have a you got to use we that. Do the drills, we do the partner drills, we mm -hmm. vary the drills, we do them live, you know, for the central thing. But but I'm not adverse to, to some mornings I'll do my cutter, and I just like doing a good cutter. Sure. That, that felt nice for my body to do, and that looked pretty sweet, and I'm quite happy with it. Mm -hmm. But but I get, I get fully what you mean because that's like closed loop training. It's 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 um it's good because of, of what's been defined as good, or it can become that. So you mm -hmm. get people whose cut in the karate world can be beautiful, mm -hmm. and, and but they have no idea of how to move with another human being. They, they have right. no idea how to adapt the techniques on the fly. That you mm -hmm. know, it, 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 and, and to me, I'm with you. I, I don't find that anywhere near as satisfying. Mm -hmm. I'm open to the art, but I don't find it satisfying to do art for art's sake. Sure. And, and exactly like you, these little kind of steps, and you can see these people who enter the dojo with very little confidence. Mm -hmm. and, then, and, then, and then you give them these manageable bite-sized chunks as you slowly build them up. And then in a few years, you know, the, you know the, we're doing group scenarios where they're getting attacked by people swinging punches at them, you know, and, and they come out of it. I mean, the normal reaction is one when they finish, it's smiling and laughing. Yeah. You know, they've kind of enjoyed it. They might not have enjoyed it while they're doing it. It's like a roller coaster, right? You get thrown all over the place or a horror movie. Mm -hmm. At the end of it, you go, yeah, it's fun. I, I like the, the adrenaline yeah. of it. If you like. So, yeah, I fully relate to that. And, and I relate to, to what uh, Osensei said, train with joy in your heart. Like, to me, that's what it means. That's the tangible aspect of this should be fun. Like, I can't wait to get to the mat the next time. I can't wait to do that again. Um, and I think in terms of what we are selling, because I – I think Aikido, along with a number of other martial arts, has a, a certain identity crisis. Like they don't know what it is they're offering. Well, any business, well, any business consultant will tell you if you don't know what what product you're selling or what service you're selling as a business, you're doomed. Like <laughs> you need to identify it. And I think that what we've struck on exactly what service martial arts is selling, which is a, an enjoyable experience that empowers the student. They want to feel like they're confident. You're selling them into, into confidence and competence. And if we're not doing that, that's why we're losing customers or that's why we're yeah. losing students. And, and, and I think on that one, there's two, two elements to that as well, because it's a, a Rory Miller line, which I really like. He said, um, he said to, be, um, um, to be able to handle fear, you need to believe you can do something. Mm -hmm. To be able to handle danger, you need to be able to do something. Right. So I think some martial arts... Um, I think actually, if I'm honest, I think when it comes to self-defense, I'd go as far as 95% who claim to teach self-defense don't. Even those who teach good physical combatives don't teach legal elements, de-escalation elements, escape elements, home security, all that stuff that's so important right. that they never even um, um, touch upon it. But, 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 but if you can show someone, say by these measured drills, that you can actually do that and you can do it live against someone mm -hmm. who doesn't want it done to them, 
it's it's a it's, it's a real confidence builder, not a false confidence builder. Right. And, and I think some some martial arts are definitely guilty of that. You know, like knife knife defense. Here's a little fancy thing we can do, and look how the knife flies out of his hand. Right. Great. Try and do that when the guys really want to keep hold of it, and it's coming at you faster than a sewing machine needle. Yeah. Try try and do it now. You know, and very quickly, it's well, can it doesn't work. Good. You know, that doesn't work, but there are other things that stand a greater chance of success. You know, and that's one of those things. It's sad when martial artists find out the hard way how far off track their training has been, and they didn't know it. Yeah. Um, my wife told me a, a tragic story from her past when she was in high school. There was a kid, and he was, I think, 15, 16 years old, and he had a black belt in Taekwondo or something, and he was stabbed to death with a screwdriver, and he just, he, he never, never got, you know, everybody thought, well, he's a black belt. He should be able to defend himself like this. This should not have happened, but, you know, it cost him his life. I mean, th those stories break my heart, and as an instructor, the worst thing I can imagine, the, the, the horror that I could imagine is have, coming back and having one of my students come back and say, what you taught me, I was totally betrayed. No, like, or, or they yeah, don't well, even come back at all because they're dead. Like, yeah. I take it with that. To totally agree with that. To totally agree. I mean, I, 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 one of the most moving things ever for me was I once had a mother tell me my, mother, my children wouldn't have a mum if it wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. because of a situation she was in you see and, and that really brings it home how, how, how serious it is on that side of things we can do all the fun stuff as well yeah, yeah. But, but for that if we're going to do it we, we, <coughs> we need to get it right and we, we can't place and again i think it's something but your your uh, your love of style or your ego or your loyalty to your organization none of that can come first mm -hmm. you have to teach what what, what what's uh, in, 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 empirical Mm -hmm. um, and demonstrable. So and it's like that, that the good business, you know. So if I, if I order a plumber and the plumber turns up and says, well, actually, I'm not a plumber, but I'm a great carpenter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't need you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, I've got a water leak. You no know offense, what I mean? but I, I you, yeah. <laughs> you so, may so, be a lovely and, guy. And is, yeah, and we, we have um, uneducated um, suppliers. Martial artists don't often know what it is they're trying to provide. And, mm. then, and then although in terms, I think of things like in uh, consensual violence, I think things like the UFC have been quite helpful in educating the public what will work in consensual violence. Mm -hmm. I would still say the vast majority of the public are very confused about what non-consensual violence or criminal violence requires. Mm -hmm. So they'll come in and go, right, I want to learn how to fight like I've seen on TV or in John right. Wick or on mm -hmm. you know, the last UFC. Right. And you go, so, okay, if that's fine. If that's what you want to learn to do, find somewhere that teaches that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but But... but but you're telling me you want to learn self-defense. And if you are, then I have a duty to tell you that that's not what you're after. This is what you're after. You know, and then we you know, and then if it's well, I also want to learn something culturally interesting and I want to have some fun with it. But, but, but being very mindful of what it is you do. So I turn students away all the time for that. Mm -hmm. People come in, I want to learn A, B, C, and D. Well, I know a guy who teaches that stuff, but it's not me. Sure. You know, you know and, but if you want to do you know, X, Y, and Z, then I'm your guy, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that honesty, I think, that that needs to be there. Um, and it's okay to say, you know, here's the stuff that we do, and here's the stuff that we don't do. And, uh, you know, I've, I've found that, you know, having an Aikido school, when I have people that come and, and they kind of want to do the, the spiritual choreograph stuff, we do a bit of that. But I also want to make sure that, you know, my students don't get into thinking that that alone is going to be what helps them when they're mm -hmm. faced with an antagonist. Um, you know, I like it to be more physical. And, and one of the concerns I think, and I don't think karate has the same thing, uh, but 
we just had a, a study by Josh Gold over at Aikido Journal come out about the age, the average age of Aikidoka is just getting older and older and older. Like the newer people are not, younger people are not coming in. It's, I think Aikido is kind of going to die out as these people just age and, and die. And uh, so that affects the practice. Like if you have a bunch of 50 to 70 year olds practicing, it's not going to look like a bunch of 25 to 35 year olds practicing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to fit your martial art to your own physical capabilities. You know, you're not going to be a, a heavy duty athlete at 60 years old, but that doesn't mean that a 25 year old should, their training should look like a 60 year old. Um, it, it needs to form. And that's where I think that instructors, the, the difference between an instructor and a coach is profound. Whereas, a, and I view myself more as a coach than, than an instructor. Uh, and just let me define that a little bit in that I want to coach my students to their strengths and to deal with overcoming their deficiencies, not mine. Mm -hmm. To me, an instructor kind of goes, here's the entire canon of, of, of all the martial art entails. And I'm an instructor because I know all of it. And now I'm going to give you every little piece along the way. And you might not be good at any of them, but you know all of them. Mm. Whereas a coach is going to say, all right, you know a few of these, or these seem to be fit to fit you really well. We're going to make you really good at those things that you're, you're suited to do. And I'm not going to worry about whether you know every single technique in the library. I want you to be good enough at, at a subset of them that fits you personally so that you're going to be competent. Yeah. When you need to. Uh, yeah, I mirror that completely. So I, I have what I call my practical knowledge box mm -hmm. and my theoretical knowledge box. Sure. So, I, you know, if you want to discuss um, throws, I can show you a hundred. Sure. And then you go, okay, which ones do you pull off under pressure? These two. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing. And I think for, for the progression, like, so, and it's something, and again, this is the thing. If, if I've got someone who comes to me for pure self-defense, they don't want to learn martial arts, they don't want to commit 20 years of their life to learning this thing, or even more than a couple of months. So in those cases, I'm going to go, right, he's out to do a palm meal strike. He's out to do a preemptive slap. He's a little bit on dialogue. He's a bit on home security. Now you've got two techniques, mm -hmm. and you've got some personal security skills with done. You know, because mm -hmm. that'll fulfill you for, for, for your needs. Mm -hmm. And I kind of start with my martial arts students in the same way. But then as they start to progress, I go, well, and I go, you can learn all this stuff and learn this stuff too. But so they will learn all of it, but there's always that element of, but when it comes to sharp edge, you need to know what's right for you. So one story I remember, I remember teaching a throw that, um, that requires you to be, um, a, it requires a little bit of leg strength and it requires you to be shorter than your opponent. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching it to this girl who was the exact opposite of that. She's very tall and very thin. Mm -hmm. So she went, she goes, I'd never get this to work, would I? And I went, no. She goes, well, why are you teaching me it then? I goes, because someday you might be teaching someone built like me. You know yeah. what I mean? So she went, she went, oh, okay, I get it. So, so all I need you to do is I need you to be able to understand it. I remember my judo coach once, I went to him and said, uh, can you go through Chimata with me? And he looked at me, the inner thigh throw, and he looked at my legs and went, why? You'll never throw anyone with those legs. Because I've got fairly short <laughs> legs, he said. And he goes, I oh, know. And he goes, well, why do you want me to teach, to teach it then? And I said, so I can teach you well. And he went, okay, that's a good answer. And then he taught yeah. me. But, but, but I'm well aware of that throw is I can walk somebody through it. I can show someone the mechanics of it. And I can get them to do it okay. Mm -hmm. but, 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 but it's never going to be one for me because it doesn't fit my attributes. Sure. And I, and I think this branches into what in, how instructors view how they teach. I've seen a lot of them say, all right, every time my, my students show up, I need to show them something new because that's what gets in the wow factor. Like you're getting something brand new. And then, and then they think, 
when I run out of new stuff because a student's been with me for two years or three years or five years, now he's going to go up. Oh, you don't have anything new. Off I go. Mm-hmm. And they, they view that like as part of their business model. And it affects what happens on the mat where that student who was with them for five years, all the stuff, every new thing that they were shown at every class, they can't do any of them well mm-hmm. yet because they never spent any time. They'd always go from one thing to the next. Like it's a, like it's a showcase. The instructor's there to show how much stuff he knows and, and to be able to tell the student, well, I've shown you a lot of stuff, but I haven't shown you everything yet. You need to keep coming back because I got more. And, and, and I, I do think though that, that students don't attach to that much except to say, I've got a really impressive instructor and he's, I've been with him for five years and I still haven't seen all the stuff he can do. Yeah. Like they're there for entertainment more than they are for their own skills. And yeah. And that's almost, I think, a, an instructor disservice to his students to, to create that expectation, like, oh, yeah. this is why you're coming to me. Yeah, massively so. And there can, can be more reward in getting them to do something well. Mm-hmm. You know, r- rather than teach them 30 things they can't do. Right. You know what I mean? T- teach yeah. them one thing they can really do. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and then that is generally um, a more rewarding experience. The balance for me, my, my instructor, um, my main instructor, who's an excellent coach, uh, he always used to say that um, uh, good teaching is 80% training, 20% entertaining. Right. So, you know, and, and I agree with that. You know, you, you make it fun and enjoyable. But, um, and, and karate tends to have the other problem. I know it's, you can't talk about this as one homogenous whole because it's not. But generally, what they tend to do is they, they will drill a, a single technique over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. to, to get it highly refined. That doesn't necessarily mean that they start learning to apply it well sometimes they're just learning the movement for the sake of the movement so that, that, mm-hmm. that's sometimes another problem and, mm-hmm. and then it gets very boring well I, I, I can get um, that repetition out of them just by I want you to do this drill let's say I've got them work front kick and I'll give mm-hmm. them a drill with front kick and I'll work till they're exhausted and I've got another drill now which just so happens to have front kick in it and they do it again so at the end of the night they're leaving that was great there was lots of variety and I'm leaving thinking I'm an evil genius because, well, actually, <laughs> actually all you did all night was lots of front kick you know what I mean? Nice. And it was uh, one of my um, instructors used the phrase "repetition by stealth," yep. which I quite I quite like that. So you know, there's, there's a balance I think where it can be fun, and, and they still do the repetition required to get the skill, mm-hmm. um, but you're not just kind of just mindlessly entertaining them. No, you're boring them to death. I think there is, right. there is definite middle ground there. You know, one of the things that I wound up having to do was I totally retooled my test criteria that I inherited from my instructor and the, the organization that I was in. And especially the first test, because that one to me is what sets the stage. That's what most martial artists go through is that first time. Like, what is the foundation? And I think this touches on what we're talking about here, which is you build a foundation of that base confidence, those few things that is really important for them to know. And then they start branching into, they kind of go up with, all right, what are the techniques that work for me? And I start to get really good with that kind of core confidence. But as they train for more years, like you were talking about, they'll start to branch out to, I want to know a little bit about this technique. I probably wouldn't do this. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be my go-to, but I want to know how to do it because I want to coach other people or I want to at least have an understanding of how this works. Uh, so there will be that that sideways expansion, but it can't start that way. No, it, definitely you won't, not. You won't no. build a foundation that way. No, yeah. Um, yeah, it should be that like I like your analogy. It's like an inverted pyramid as opposed to kind of just straight lines up the side. Right. Um, yeah. And I found that once I, I took on that inverted pyramid and, and I took it on with the, the attitude of, you know, if somebody went and studied wrestling for six months, 
Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for six months or boxing for six months, they'd have a pretty decent chance of surviving somebody picking a fight with them or, or attacking them. Like, why can't any martial art do that? Why can't Aikido do that? And I spent a, a couple of years, whenever I'd go to a seminar, I'd visit other students or I'd meet somebody that, that I uh, came across in the Aikido world, I'd ask them, how, many, how long did you train before you felt somewhat confident or reasonably confident with somebody attacking you? And I got at the low end was about eight years to 10 yeah. years. I had people that were 16 to 20 years and said, I still don't to this day. I'm like, hmm. what the hell are we doing if we don't have, if you, you know, senior practitioners and instructors are not confident if somebody started getting up in their face? And I was like, all right, we need to change this around. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. so with that, I wanted to get that bottom of the inverted pyramid because that core competency should be, that should be a comfort zone of, you know, not that you're going to take an attacker for granted. You certainly shouldn't, but to say, I'm not just going to get creamed by anybody because I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, and, and that was where I wanted to build that foundation to kind of go up or to, I guess you, yeah. you took the pyramid down. That was the solid block underneath is I want to not be able to, you know, get hit. I want to be able to take some body contact. I want to be able to deal with, you know, the wide variety of real world attacks. And, and that's something we could touch on from what we talked about earlier, which is what are we going to encounter possibly with real world attacks? Well, now with all this video all over the place, we can make a study of what, how do the real attacks go? How do they, what are we, what are we looking to train for? And that's kind of what I did is, is go for, what do you see in most street attacks for, what somebody's going to deal with and let's start there and they don't even need to be all the same things because i know you guys over in the uk you guys have got people headbutting all over the place <laughs> like you guys love that the, what do they call it, the glasgow kiss over there yeah glasgow kiss yeah, yeah, yeah um you know it'll change a little bit here in the u.s but we see a lot of big haymakers a lot of big uh you know overhand right swings we see a lot of tackles shoves uh some leg takedowns and stuff it's a mess like, well, let's, let's start with sorting out the mess and work on a few basic things and build from there. And I found that students really like it and they love when we can start turning up that dial from 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%, 80% and say, you know, all right, I'm going to have a student go get you, you stop it. And that's where that asymmetric thing comes in. And, and as they do it, initially they feel kind of very nervous, but as they start going through it, and start getting confident they're like yeah nobody's gonna take me down and i also add in how to get up if you are taken down and I'm like yeah. i can do that in six months it's not that hard no really I also, like i mean at the far end is at the end of six months the self-defense side of it i mean we all we can improve we can all improve but yeah. like you should have everything covered by then you're then moving on to martial arts you know, yeah. and the ones that say, well, well, we'll teach martial arts and then get to self-defense. You've got it the wrong way around. You right. know what I mean? It's, it's the wrong way around. Mm -hmm. you, you, you start with, and that's what I say, I mean, the, the training, um, it's one of the things, that, when, if I'm talking with other karate people about the specifics of karate, that can get very nuanced and very technical. Mm -hmm. But when I start talking self-defense with people, a lot of, yeah, it's, a kind of, it's the same old stuff. You know what I mean? The, the stuff that works consistently in that non-consensual um, non violence world. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what art you do you'll all end up pretty much doing the same thing and sure. then when you've got that in place then you know go play have some fun with it right 
you know, the, and the other thing too, that I noticed as I started adapting my training model into this is for those first six months, it's not like combative school where we don't do any, uh, footwork drills or, or, you know, what you typically associate with Aikido. Like I feather all that in it. It's still there. It doesn't need to be, you know, a Marine Corps boot camp for six months. And then we're going to learn Aikido after that. It all goes together. And in, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people have a misperception of what it, what it must be like to include the self-defense within, within Aikido. Uh, or within any martial art, like I'm giving up on all of my, my extreme technical practice to, to do the self-defense or combative or however you'd want a real world violence preparation. It, it isn't, it doesn't take, you can, you can blend them nicely. Oh yeah. You, know, you, can, you can teach them in a parallel way. So yeah, quite. And that's what we do. And I'm always very mindful. It goes back to the martial math thing. When mm-hmm. my students are training, I'll, I, I, I try and be very, clear them this is what we're doing now right so if we've got our, if we've got our guards up and we're moving around and saying okay this footwork drill we're doing now this, this way of blocking a shot this mm-hmm. is this is pure consensual violence you know mm-hmm. you're trying to provoke trained responses anticipate what they may do you try and outsmart them uh, you know you're playing an advanced game of chess and then we've got the like the the, the uh, scenario based training that we do and the escape based drills that we do okay this is your self-defense stuff you know, right. and the kind of some points they overlap a little bit, but it's so that they don't use the wrong skill in the wrong context as well. Mm-hmm. We're always very important to get it. Again, there's a lovely analogy one of my instructors came up with where he said, now, when martial artists fight other, it's like an advanced game of chess. Mm-hmm. And then when they face criminals, they are surprised when the criminal throws the pieces at them and then smashes the head in with the board. <laughs> I, 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 really I like love that. how to steal that too, because no that's who's great. Still the best chess player, but the mistake was the criminal's not interested in playing chess. Right. You know, but, 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 you know, you can, you can do all that stuff. So when I'm talking about, you know, feints and drawing mm-hmm. techniques and you do this and he'll think you're going to do that. As soon as you're talking like that, okay, this is consensual violence now. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're interested in this, we're going to play with this side of it as well. Then we'll get the self-defense side of things. Okay, this is how criminals are at. These are the core, simple things that you yeah. do aggressively and explosively, not mm-hmm. to win the fight, mm-hmm. but to escape. That's why I hate the term street fight. I despise it. I used to have sure. a degree of tolerance for it and that's gone <laughs> I, you know I, I i think more and more martial artists either intentionally or unintentionally it's linguistic camouflage mm-hmm. so instead of addressing self-defense they go no we're going to do fighting skills but it's in the street look i've put on jeans now and i'm doing it in a car park therefore right. it's self-defense no it's not no it's right. not it's still fighting skills it's still martial arts skills so right. just change your clothing and the environment you know so it's it's yeah, trying to get. Uh, yeah, I, I share. I share your frustration with the simplistic view, and one of the simplistic views is okay. Now it's a real fight, so now I'm just gonna eye flick and kick in the balls. Like that. That's <laughs> gonna solve all my self defense problems, it, because you know there are no now there are no rules, and I'm just gonna go with whatever's banned in just about every sport, and that'll be it. Like that's not not true, and to me, that's where you see the, the biggest split, or the perceived split between technical precise martial arts and real violence but the technical side does have strength i mean that's the reason they call boxing the sweet science because it's there's a lot to it it's not just punching somebody and this frustrates me with the technical martial artists who tend to view sport fighters as just brutes like oh i'm just smashing something when i No, you don't really appreciate how technical And how expertise, how much expertise goes into that art? Like you're, 
you're trying to make your, your own art look better by trying to tear down yeah. this other, you know, these other people, even, even I, I hate to use the term, but even bar fighters and street fighters, like they may not have entered a dojo or done any, what you would consider training or, or, you know, a, a, a academic martial artist would consider training, but believe me, they've trained, they have a yeah. method. They know <laughs> how to, how to I, be yeah, sneaky yeah. or. That, uh, that band stuff irritates me too. I call that one the rules paradox. Okay. So you sometimes get people go, oh, in judo, they can practice their throws because mm -hmm. they, they, they put them down on the back. But in my style, we drop them on the head. So mm -hmm. our throws are more dangerous. So I go, okay, so, so how do you drill your throws with, with a non-compliant partner? Oh, we don't, they're too dangerous. Well, the okay. judo guy will throw you all day long with his safe throws uh -huh. because he's actually practicing against doing against somebody. Sure. You know, but because you're saying your technique is too dangerous to be practiced live, you may find it's not dangerous at all. Mm -hmm. And people over-exaggerate what eye flicks and pokes can do. You know, no one's ever touched an eyeball and go, I quit, I quit, I quit. I mean, it's part of the mix and it can change your tactics, mm -hmm. but they're not, they're not radical um, game changes by any means, you know. So. Right. Well, well we, and we, then we, you we, ask those very same people, well, how, much, how many times have you practiced eye jabs? And they're like... <laughs> uh. Yeah, well, we have this thing as well. We, we, we'll do so. We'll, we'll take all of that out. I call it the dirt. We take all the dirt out, and then they'll, they'll train in a certain way. And I'll go right. Say, say they're doing a grappling drill, and I'll go right. I just want you to grapple, play for grips, try and get your partner's back, try and get these certain grip positions. And then I'll say, okay, now what you can do is, if you touch your thumb just above his eyebrow, he has to move the hand away from the eyebrow. So my mm -hmm. argument is, if I could get my hand here, I could have got it into his eye. Okay. And, you know, and so there will be a response. So it's not going to be um, a fight winner, but it may create a response that will enable you to do something. Mm -hmm. We use the belt knot for the groin. So okay. if the person grabs the belt knot, they've now got a grip on your testicles, right? So you better sure. do something about that. Yep. You know what I mean? So, so there's those kind of things where you can substitute them in for the tactical side of it, mm -hmm. but you can still train live with all of that stuff. You've just got mm -hmm. to be a bit creative with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's... I think there's a certain, like I said, a blind spot that a lot of academic martial artists will have for real violence or for sport violence. They just, they simplify it so that they can classify in their head and say, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's an ego-based justification. As, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll, it I'll create an, uh, an excuse mm -hmm. as to why that's, that's not what it is. But like I said, one of my closest friends, absolutely, you could not meet a nicer man. But in his youth, he was far from a nice man, right? He's a nice man now, but he wasn't. Mm -hmm. and, 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 I remember, and a man who's had hundreds, if not thousands, of real fights, because he'd go out and seek them. That was his idea of fun, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I was talking to him about what he found, you know, you know, all these hundreds of fights he had, and he had a local reputation as being a guy that you just didn't want to get on the wrong side of, right? Mm -hmm. Way more effective than 99.9% .9 of black belts out there, right? Sure. So I said, so I said, so what, what was it then? And, and, and it, 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 this was it. This was his full fighting system. He says, he says, I'd hit them with my right. If they were still standing, I'd grab them and headbutt them. Going back to your point earlier. Yeah. And, he goes, and if they were still standing, I'd run away. And that mm -hmm. was it. Yeah. Like, you know, so this isn't a guy that knows 100 throws, 1,000 wrist locks, of infinite punching combinations. He's yeah. got a very honed right cross. Mm -hmm. He's got a, 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 a strong close-range follow-up. Mm -hmm. And then he's got a very simple tactical plan. And sure. that makes him way more. Now, you stick that guy on a mat or in a ring or in a dojo, he's not going to win ever. Mm -hmm. But I always liken this, you know, if, if I'm in, in the ocean, it's the sharks I'm scared of, right? If I'm on the African plains, it's the lions I'm scared of. If you mm -hmm. drop that lion in the ocean, 
you yeah. put the art, you know, that, that shark in the mirror of the Serengeti, I'm not really scared of it. I'll just stand back until he dies, you know. So it's right. the same thing. It's the context determines who's the apex predator. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. I think martial arts have an arrogance. We, mm-hmm. we will be better than any untrained person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but untrained doesn't mean unskilled, and it certainly doesn't mean unexperienced either. You know what I mean? So Exactly. You know, I, I was... A number of years ago, a friend of mine who's one of those very dangerous people, you know, lived a very interesting life in some some places where a lot of people don't even think exist in terms of violence. And uh, he, he turned me on to uh, a, a simple system kind of similar to what, what you described that a lot of bikers will use. And uh, it's basically a, a simple three step. Do this, then do that, then do the other. And it works when you've got a half a bottle of Jack Daniels in you, you know, or, or you've just drunk, you know, two pitchers of beer. It's so simple. It's so direct. And it's, it's not very graceful, but it works, you know, and that's one of those things where you can say, well, I've been training for, you know, years and years. And this guy, you know, he only knows three moves, but in his, in his realm, now you're going, you're going into the shark's waters and it's going to be his, his advantage. Yeah, one of my instructors uh, realized that his training, he felt at the time, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't giving him what he needed. He had a fear of violence. So he threw himself into the deep end effectively and became a nightclub uh, bouncer, right? Mm-hmm. And then he realized you know, he's got all this martial art training, but he's on the door with people who have a lot more experience of doing it. So mm-hmm. they were teaching him, this is how you can spot someone's about to go. Hit mm-hmm. them before they do anything physical. They're about to do something physical. The neck pecking, the splaying, the right. short syllables, you know, all this kind of stuff. So yep. you're going to use dialogue. The wide open glare. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're going to yep. use dialogue to deceive them. Um, uh, you know, ask them an open-ended question. Why can't we talk about this? And when they think of an answer, hit them then. Right. You know, and, and they said, yeah, this, this, you know, it worked. They said way more than, than, than anything. So when it comes to the physical side of self-defense, back to one of my other teachers who also worked as a bouncer, he said the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's one of uh, this preemptive, uh, strike, you know, when you, you you are being physically threatened, but it hasn't got physical yet. Mm-hmm. And and, and they, they, you know, again, decades and decades of martial arts training, high level competitors, you know, full contact champions, one of them as well. And and and, and they said, you know, this this preemptive slap or preemptive strike that works more often than anything. And I say yeah. I can teach that to someone in an hour. Mm-hmm. They'll have a working version of it, you know. Yeah. So I don't need to teach them all those advanced skills. I'll mm-hmm. Just teach them this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the bit of the bottom of the... You know, yeah, that's it. I also wanted to ask you, just to jump tracks a little bit, when you went through this kind of your own personal renaissance of what you wanted your art to be, did you find that you had to had to swim upstream and, and take some slings and arrows from the traditionalists? And and how did you deal with that? What would what would you advise people who are maybe thinking about taking on that, that same breakaway? Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of these things, is, you know, I, I um, was, uh, the time I started doing it was like late 1990s, really. You know, I mean, it's when I started publicly sharing books and articles and things. And, mm-hmm. and so at that time, the, the, the UFC was coming on the martial artist radar. So they're going, OK, there's this that's more, you know, it, it, it doesn't replicate the fight, but it's, it's definitely high level consensual violence. You know, sure. it doesn't represent self-defense but and also uh jeff thompson peter consign are the two instructors i led to earlier in the uk they were um both highly skilled karate but they were both saying um what people are teaching is self-defense isn't self-defense so it's what we in the uk we call the reality revolution what was happening in the 1990s 
about when I started coming out with my material. So the, the pump was already primed a little bit because you had a lot of traditionalists going, okay, where do we go now? And I went, it was that crisis of faith, I think, that was brought yeah, was starting, to, And I go, well, I might have an answer. Nice. You know what I mean? So for those who were already asking the question, so that helped, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That really helped me. Um, mm -hmm. There was a wave there to be surfed. But from within, I still get it now, within the, the uh, certain sections of traditional, because I would debate that with them as well, but, um, but, but, but uh, within the, yeah, there was very strong pushback. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, uh, and so... I'm always, I'm not trying to win anyone round, never have, I'm not trying to evangelize. I'm always, okay, this is what I do and this is why I do it. And I hope you find it useful. And if you do, that's great. If you don't, fine, keep on doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but but, but when, when those guys would, would push back, you know, one of the things that I, I would often do is, is, uh, is I would quote the old masters back to them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, for example, on that one, I, I would be the guy teaching, you know, this preemptive strike and the goal. Oh, that's a, you know, well, okay, let me tell you that Funakoshi, Mabuni, and Multiple all recommended it. And here's the quotes, you know, sure. where they did it, you see. And, and then it's one thing about if, if I can, it's a strange thing with traditionalists. I can demonstrate that something works, and sometimes that's not enough. But if I can demonstrate that it works, and I can give an old master's quote to back it up, now they're interested and they're on board. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that was kind of going back and also talking about how the old masters were very open to the idea of change and innovation. There's lots of good quotations on that. So when I brought something new in where people would go, well, well, I don't know, you're changing the art. It's been changing every second of every day since the moment it was, in, you can see, you know, it's conceived. It's been in a constant state of evolution. And here's the historical evidence for that as well. So that broke down the doors a little bit then because people thought, oh, okay, you know, I don't feel like I'm betraying my roots or anything like that, you know. Um, well, yeah, and I, I think that as people go forward, it's easy to think, well, I'll, I'll start going that direction when, when the mass of practitioners are going that direction. But there, I think you're right. I think there's always going to be holdouts. There are always going to be people that are, are going to be stuck with where their mind is. They don't want to innovate or expand or, or look at adjusting their training. And, and I'm, I admit that when I took on adjusting my own training when I when I started my dojo and, and it took a long time because I had such great respect for everything that my instructor taught me I, I felt that, I, that he really didn't waste any time but I realized like maybe there are better ways to do to teach the same concept and maybe there are some concepts that just weren't as useful in the time that you spend that you could be doing something better to, yeah, to adapt yeah. new things and um I guess it's kind of like a diet or, or your or your weekly schedule. If you take something new in, you're going to have to give up something. Yeah. And it 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 will cost at least it caused me to really examine, okay, is the new thing I'm going to be doing good enough or better to to take this other thing out and replace it. And it took me a while to to overcome that feeling of well, just the respect and and uh to examine, all right, this has to be deliberate. This cannot just be a haphazard well, uh, approach and, um, and i think there is that thing of sometimes people feel that they're being disrespectful to those that came before right but, but i think a real good analogy for that is uh, that, I, that i use a lot is, is science mm -hmm. so if you look at like let's take physics as an example right so so newton was the guy who comes up with newtonian physics sure and then they noticed something a little bit um 
Oh, you're still there. I thought I'd put it. So, yeah, so, so th then they notice, as I understand it, they notice something odd about Mercury's orbit and think there's something else going on here. And mm -hmm. physics moves on, right? So now the physicists look back at Newton's stuff and they go, you know what? That, that was really good, but we've improved on it since then. But nobody looks back and goes, Newton was an idiot. And the reason that Newton was a genius is we didn't have to redo what he'd given us. Mm -hmm. We started from that point and were able to move on. So there's that phrase, um, John of Salisbury's, where he said, uh, if I can see so far, it's because I am a dwarf standing on the shoulder of the giants. Right. You know, and, and that's how I feel. So, you know, yep. I'm not, when I go, I think we can do this a little bit better. That's not me betraying them. It's me fulfilling them. I'm saying they've given me all of this great stuff. And, the, and, and, and because of that, I didn't have to start from scratch. So very quickly, mm -hmm. all that research they did, they went, we've done all the hard work there. And, mm -hmm. and that got me to this point. Now, my job is to move it on an inch. Sure. You know what I mean? And then the yep. generation can take, take, take it from there. So I'm not betraying it. I'm fulfilling it. Mm -hmm. so, and, and you don't get, in physics, physics, you don't get practitioners of Newton rule i gotta write that one down too i'm stealing that one as well yeah um, you know they just all acknowledge that yeah that man was a genius he was an absolute genius and right. gave us you know the foundation of modern physics but we yeah. can move on little, in little incremental steps so yeah so it's we're not that cycle of you know, you know an, an innovator comes he creates a new standard the standard is respected because he innovated it it's beyond where it ever was and then the next innovator comes and takes his and yeah. it keeps rolling. But the minute yeah, you stop that, I think that's where martial art, a martial art is going to start to die. It's just like, and in no other field does that happen. Right. You know, it, 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 it's just, it's a weird thing with us. You know, like, like a friend of mine said, he goes, you know, nobody, no one else looks back to the 1940s as a period of perfection. Right. No, no one says, well, I want a car from the 1940s. Nobody mm -hmm. wants that. You know, they, they acknowledge that things, things improve over time, but simply because the building on what came before, Mm -hmm. I always think as well is, you know, I, I think of like if you went to, let's say you go to a famous artist to learn to paint and mm -hmm. you start by learning to copy their paintings, mm -hmm. you know, let's say you don't see them for 20 years. They go, you're still painting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, I can still copy your work. Well, I can do my work. What, what have you done? You know what I mean? Right. So I always think it's like a failure. It's more disrespectful to them to do nothing with it. You know what I, I mean? Agree. To do absolutely nothing with it. To say this art that those past masters put their life and soul into that mm -hmm. they wanted to see survive, thrive, and spread and be the best it can be. Yep. When we know, we can see that there's minor improvements that can be made, mm -hmm. not to make those is, is, is it's, that's, it's taking away all their heritage. Like you were talking sure. about, these arts die out. Well, what have we achieved? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, there was, a, there was a quote that I came across from a sensei, and it's one of his more unusual ones because it's not all the, well, we got to you know, live in peace with the universe and things like that. Mm -hmm. But he talked about, I guess somebody asked him, well, what, you know, you're, so, you're such a tremendous martial artist. What, what, what do you think of your progress? And he basically said, like, I'm just a beginner. I've only just started. And I hope that, that my students and, will carry on this innovation and keep going, advancing the art, not just, you know, stop, yeah. not just stop with what he had done. And, and I think that speaks exactly to what you're talking about is, you know, all the premier fighters that I've known, all of them have said, you know, I've got a little bit of understanding, but what I don't know is so much more massive yeah. than what I do know. And they want to keep innovating. It's usually their body that stops them uh, from from too hard to play or or just age. But they, they still respect that there's so much more 
to go. There's so much more, and not just techniques to add, but refinements and and new perspectives. Yeah, it's your like training methods, sports science is improving. Yeah. Yep. The, the quality of kit that we've got is improving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like like we you know in karate they have the makiwari, you know, the wooden striking post. Mm-hmm. And and then you know I, I I remember in one of my first books I was talking about uh, the use of focus mitts. And, sure. and, and some traditional martial artists, well, they're boxers kits. Why are we using them? But the only reason the old masters weren't using them is because they didn't have them. Right. You know, if all I had was wooden straw, then I'm going to hit a makiwara. But if you can give me high density form and Velcro, I'm going to make something out of it. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and I'd say that, you know, what we want in 50 years time, they'll be talking about all these traditional focus drills that were developed way back in the early 2000s. Right. You know, it, 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 it's, it's try, trying to move it on in, in, in those, those little bits. And again, uh, not to decry what came before, just trying to do what little mm-hmm. thing we can, just to push it on an inch. And my grading syllabus is set up that way as well. We have that built in. In the lower end, they copy because they haven't got enough experience to make an informed choice. But sure. you know, quite relatively quickly, then it starts. Okay, you choose this. You do this. You research this. You know, mm-hmm. and, and let them explore their martial arts. I always say this as well. If, if Ian Rue ever exists again, I fail. None of my students should be doing what I'm doing in, in 20 years. Sure. You know, because if they have, then I feel I failed as an instructor. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't taught them how to learn. Sure. I, I you, you've given them a bunch of fish, but you haven't taught them how to fish. Yeah, well, I, I always like it. I think, like, I use the analogy a lot of seminars. It's like mathematics. If you, you like, like, so my youngest, uh, second youngest daughter, she's four years old, she's learning basic maths now, and there's a little bit of memorization, right? Mm-hmm. So she knows that two add two is four. Mm-hmm. But so she can memorize that, you know, but, but it's not memorizing it. You need to understand what it represents. Because then if I go, okay, what's two add three? You don't want to go in that second number's wrong, daddy. It's supposed to be a two. You know what I mean? She, she, she needs yep. to understand the idea. And once you've got the ideas, then then you can add any number to any other number. Sure. You know what I mean? And so I think in the traditional martial arts, that's the way it should be. We start with these examples. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, you may decide, I think there's a better example of this, or there's an easier way to communicate this. The core concepts remain the same. Sure. Well, the way you communicate and train it can, can evolve. Which, that yeah. to me makes the art exciting. It's not a free-for-all. You've mm-hmm. got to earn your dues before you can start doing that stuff. Yep. And it's not an ego-based thing. We're not changing things just for the sake of claiming the grandmaster of your own style. It's sure. literally, you know, masters have took me a thousand miles. I want to add my inch before I die. You know, that, that's the yep. thing. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think in terms of, of human combatives or hoplology, there really is nothing new under the sun. Any no. technique that somebody thinks that they've come up with has been done before. <laughs> but what we have seen, I think, in the last 20, 30 years is a mass innovation in teaching and training and instructing. Yeah. Like that's where the, the big work has been done. And the UFC actually has helped. When, when you need to train athletes, you need to get them fluent quickly they've learned a lot about how to train martial arts for performance. Yes, it's for a sport, but you know, really they're doing the same thing. It's the training method, not just the techniques that are, that are the the aspect. And as an instructor, I think a good instructor will, will try to innovate their training. Like what method am I going to get my students up to speed as quickly as possible, as clearly as possible with as few teaching them as few mistakes as possible that I have to go unteach them later because I taught him to him wrong in the first place. So. Yeah, so yeah, that's it. You know, there's certain traditional, like in karate, we have these uh, three and five step sparring things, mm-hmm. which um, you, yeah, basically what that was, that was karate guys trying to copy judo and kendo with a training <laughs> method that doesn't work sure. in karate. Yep. You know, in judo, it's quite common. I'll move him once, I'll move him twice, then I'll throw him in katas mm-hmm. and stuff. So, 
Uh, but those, you know, I learned those for years and years and got fairly competent at them and, and never found a demonstrable use for them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And sometimes people would say to me, yeah, but, you know, you've done them, so you've benefited from them. And it's, it's difficult to say, you know, would you have gained some of the skills you've got if you hadn't done them? Well, I can say is we haven't done them in my dojo for 20 years and they're sure. doing fine without them. Yep. You know, we've got diff different ways of training, which gets mm -hmm. the end results a lot, lot quicker. And, you know, and I've found in, in adjusting, trying to get some more live drills and, and playing with different exercises and kind of using my students a little bit like guinea pigs, like how can I get this fundamental that I was taught over six months? How can I get that built in a student in say two months? Mm. And I've found some success with it. Like, and it just takes getting an innovative way of, of training the students and, and trying new, some new ways of doing it. And some will not work as well as others, but I've found that it, it is helpful to tr at least try. If you're not trying, then you won't get anything out of it. You're just going to be Xerox copying the same <laughs> drills that you were taught. And we know what happens with Xerox copies. You get copies yeah. of copies of copies of copies, and now they're illegible. My, my same instructor, uh, uh, one of my instructors uses the exact same analogy. Mm -hmm. he, he wrote an article called The Bad Photocopy. And exactly bad that. Photo, yep. Every generation, it gets worse and worse and worse. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good analogy, that. Excellent. Well, I really enjoyed our talk. I know we're coming up on a, on a time constraint here. Was there anything that you wanted to wrap up with? or? Uh, no, no, this should be, I what, hope, you know, just for, I've really enjoyed this. This has been fun. But I just uh, hope that uh, for anyone that's uh, listening, you know, if they, they want to know more about anything no, or any of the topics I've raised, then, I'm easy enough to find. The spellings, um, the E-N is I-A-I-N, which is the Scottish spelling. Okay. Fiercely proud Scottish grandmother, right? So I have okay. to have the name spelled the Scottish way. They and love their Abernethy. eyes so much they got to put two in there. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. And then they, they have Abernethy, it's A-B-E-R-N-E-T-H-Y. I know okay. in the U.S. Abernethy is a more common surname, but it's Neth. Abernethy. Great. And what I will do, I will uh, get the link for that Marshall map. That was a really great podcast, and I'm going to put it in the link in the description. Well, actually, I hope people like that one as well, because the thing about it, which I'm most proud of that, is it, it does differentiate those areas, mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't make a value judgment. You know, right. it's not yeah, saying, it's, and it's crucial to understand it's good that. Or bad, it's appropriate or inappropriate. So, yeah. you know, like, you know, in Aikido, you may find that there's some people who are just like doing the cutters. Mm -hmm. I find that great, great, great. So that's over here on this map, and it has sure. value. Just don't mm -hmm. think it's over here on the map. Right. You know, like the karate guy doing his fancy jumping kicks. Lovely. I'm glad you're enjoying them, but they're here. <laughs> you know, but they're not over here. Yeah. Yep. And that, and that's the, the key. It's it's no judgment, just understanding the lay of the land and yeah. and where you want to be with it and, and being happy with where you are. And it and that's the thing, like when you realize there's something missing, and I think every martial artist goes through that. If you don't, you're kind of blinding yourself. At one day you wake up. And maybe you were happy yesterday, but today it's, you know, there's something that's missing from what I can do. Wh where is it? What, where am I going to find it? What is it? And where am I going to go to get it? Like, th that's a crucial thing. Anybody that's growing is going to feel that at a, on a regular yeah. basis. And, and, and so, it's exciting I, yeah, I think, thing as well, because it means you're growing. It means you're you know, growing. It, exactly. It shouldn't be a terrible thing that you shouldn't self-offer it. You know, that, that's, that's the bit, that's the bit, you know, you can, I can make this a little bit better. Right. Mm. Exactly. Well, thank you very much, Ian. This has been a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I can view coming back and having you on again. Uh, yeah, anytime. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks for talking. <laughs> All right. Well, you take care, my friend, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Will do. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you very much for watching and supporting this podcast. 
enjoy your training.